And this morning we had the children's ministry to work on a special project in the fellowship hall because uh, as a parent myself of young children and in conversation with some other parents, uh, we came to the conclusion that maybe some of our children were not yet uh, of age to hear uh, some discussions on these matters. While I do believe it is important, it is imperative for the church not to compromise the Word of God, especially in relation to the subject of sexuality, uh, we felt it's best for parents to be the ones to first uh, instruct their children as to what it is and, and how it is to function according to God's Word. Now, while it might be inappropriate for the littlest of ears, it is very appropriate for the rest of us to consider what does God's Word have to say about sex. The Bible has much to say about it, and unfortunately, churches have been silent on this matter for so long that this has become a, a, a critical matter. It has become fatal to our culture because churches have refused to, to teach what the Bible says or yet hold fast to and, and behave in a way in which the Bible says we ought to. You know, our personal discomfort is no excuse for neglecting the preaching and teaching of the Word of God about sex in church. Just because it might be a little uncomfortable, just because it might be something that we feel like we don't want to talk about or, or deal with in public, it is something that we must if we are to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. And that's one reason I like to preach through books of the Bible because nobody will ever wonder, hmm, wonder why he's dealing with this subject this morning. It helps to, to know that this is in uh, full context of everything we've looked at over the last several weeks. And it doesn't give us room to duck and hide from difficult passages or uncomfortable subjects. The Word of God has much to say, as we will see this morning. Now, what is the goal for life? In all of our life, what is the goal? The goal is to what? glorify God. Is it not? That's why we have been created. That's why we have been saved and redeemed. We are to glorify God in all that we do. And that translates over to this subject matter. Glorify God with your sex life. It sounds simple, but yet it is so profound. And it is so deep. Glorify God with your sex life. In whatever stage of life you may be in, there may be some that says, well, you know, this sermon not appropriate for me. But yet, we need to know what God's Word has to say on this subject matter, and we need to be willing to speak up and stand firm and to teach and hold others accountable. And so it is a message that is indeed very appropriate for all of us here today. We've been looking in chapter 4 last week, and Paul said in verse 1 that, that we are exhorted and requested to walk in a way that we ought to, to please God. So Paul's talking about, in this very context, everything that flows out of these next two chapters funnels through that one phrase, please God, walk in a way that you ought to, and please God. Christian living that is rooted in the desire, in the goal, in the motive of pleasing God, that ought to color and impact everything that we do in our lives. In fact, Paul's going to talk about here in verses 9 through 12, it impacts our social setting as we talk about loving the brethren, as we talk about behaving towards outsiders. Pleasing God affects 
our social setting. It also affects everything we do in the kingdom of God. Verse 13 and following talks about the resurrection of the dead and, and the rapture of the church. But then Paul begins here with this most intimate level of our social interaction with others. Family is the bedrock of all society, and according to the Word of God, sex is reserved for holy matrimony. So Paul says, all right, we want to talk about pleasing God in everything we do. Let's start with the most intimate of settings, the most intimate of things between one individual and another. And again, our goal is to glorify God. How are we going to do that when it comes to this subject of sexuality? How do you glorify God? Well, first of all, do not distort God's plan. Do not distort God's plan. The beauty of what God had created in sexuality between one man and one woman, that, that beautiful design became distorted when mankind sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. And because this design, this beautiful design became twisted, we have to be reminded from God's Word, what is His plan? And according to this matter, well, in verse 3, Paul talks about God's purpose for your life. He says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. You want to know God's will for your life? It's holiness. It says it right there in black and white. So many people think about the will of God as kind of this mysterious thing. Like this secret that God is, is hiding from you. As if God is saying, you know what? I know my will for you. Ha ha. Here it is. Here's my will. Nope. Here it is. Over here. All right. Guess which hand my will for your life is in. We think that God is somehow playing this game with us. I'm just trying to grasp. And God's will for your life is holiness. God's will for your life is your sanctification. If you just make it your ambition to say, I want to please God and I want to live a life that is holy and reflecting of His values, if that's your desire, God's will will unfold for you because that is His will. Doors will open and shut and, and decisions will be made, but if, if, if all in all, your goal is, I just want to please God. I just want to be holy. Then everything will work itself out. Holiness, sanctification. That, that word, those two words, they, they come from the same Greek word, sanctified, holy. And Paul uses that four times in these few verses that we're looking at. Sanctification, it has both a, an eternal dimension and an ethical dimension. Eternal, sanctified, you've been set apart, made holy, declared holy by God. That reflects who you are for all eternity. You're saved, set apart, sanctified. But then there's also the ethical dimension that goes with it. You are to live like you have been saved. You are to live like God wants you to live. Your behavior ought to be impacted by your beliefs. And if it does not, there's some sort of disconnect there. To say, I believe this, but then go out and live like this, there is a problem there. There is saying, I am holy by, by God's grace through Christ Jesus, but yet I'm going to go out and live like I'm not. There's an issue. 
God's purpose for your life. Paul begins by just saying it's your sanctification, your holiness, and all you do. In the most intimate of settings between one man and one woman, and also between your interaction with others and all of the world, holiness. God's purpose for your life. And then in verses 3 and following down to verse 5, he talks about God's prohibition on your lust. Okay, if God's desire is for you to be sanctified, you need to control your passions and not vice versa. You need to control your passions. Well, how do we do that? Verse 3 talks about, first of all, no sexual immorality. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, notice it doesn't say this. God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sex, period. Because there's a lot of people out there that think that's what the Bible has to say. You know, there there are really two false views about sex. There are those who say all sex is good, and we're going to address that here in just a minute. And then there's those who say all sex is bad, and that's wrong too. That leads to a distorted view, and that leads to a lot of headache and a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble that God never intended for you to have. By God's design, sex is good. It is a beautiful thing. And I'm here to tell you this morning, your preacher says, have all the sex you want as long as it is within the context of holy matrimony, as long as it is in the way that God has designed. You know what? It it makes a lot of sense to follow the the directions that come from the maker, right? (laughs) And God says, here's my design. One man, one woman. The two shall become one flesh in a permanent, lasting covenant relationship with one another. It's a beautiful thing. It's God's design. Nothing wrong with that. It's not dirty. It's an intimate, personal thing. But yet it's a good thing. But God does say, however, there are prohibitions on your desires, on your passions. And he says, no sexual immorality, that you abstain. That word abstain is a very strong word, that you just knock it off, that you just stop it. Just don't do it. Abstain from sexual immorality. The word there for sexual immorality, porneia. We get our word pornography out of that. It means anything that's deviant, anything that's outside the boundaries of what is acceptable to God. The Bible talks about a lot of things sexually that's not appropriate according to God. Adultery, the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. If you're married, you cannot have sex with somebody else other than your spouse. Extramarital sex, sin. It also goes on to talk about homosexuality, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Contrary to what some folks will try to tell you, the entirety of Scripture labels it as sin. Fornication. The word fornication is used a lot of times in the Bible. That means any kind of sex that's not appropriate, that falls outside the boundaries of God's parameters. That means sex out of marriage. That means if you are single, no sex. Pornography. said the word porneia. Anything that's inappropriate, anything that excites lust, you might say, well, what's it hurt anybody else? We'll talk about that here in just a second. But any kind of sin that, that's sexually outside the boundaries of God's design is immorality. And Paul says, abstain from it. If you want to walk in a, in a way that's pleasing to God, 
You gotta you gotta avoid this. You gotta keep it keep it between the barriers. No sexual immorality. No shameful indignity. Verse 4 says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now there is some interpretive debates about what the word vessel there means. Some say it means a person's body. Some says it means your spouse. And it's about 50-50 down the line. Some people think the context means in relationship to your spouse. Some says, no, it means controlling your own body, your own impulses, your own passions. And really, either way fits the context. I don't think Paul would argue against either, either interpretation. But I think what it's hitting at here is this, that you possess, that you obtain this, you, you keep this in sanctification and honor. Your marriage relationship, you keep that in sanctity and, and holiness and honor means you don't go running around. Or if it's talking about your own passions, you, you control your own impulses with holiness in an honorable way. Either way, I think what it's saying is that whenever we sin against God, it's immorality, it's idolatry, it's a failure to give God the glory He deserves, and it also it's degrading the human body in a way that, 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 that's shameful, in a way that's sinful. God has made mankind what? In His own image. In the image of God, He created them. And so whether you are sinning against your spouse sexually or you are sinning against God using your own body sexually, it is taking something or someone that's in the image of God and degrading them. That's why pornography is wrong. You are taking an individual that's in the image of God and instead of seeing them as a person, you are looking at that as an object. You objectify another human being. And that's why it is wrong. And Jesus said, whoever looks at someone with, with lust in their heart has committed sin. It's committed adultery. It's giving fuel to that sinful passion. Shameful indignity, degrading the value of God's image in humanity. Then in verse 5, it talks about no spiritual ignorance. If you're going to prohibit and control, contain your lust, verse 5, he says, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, you need to live like, you, like you've got a relationship with God. You say you're a Christian, live like it. You know better. You know better. Paul says the Gentiles, they don't have a clue regarding this. They don't know God. Why would, they, why would we expect the lost person to live in a way that pleases God? They can't. They won't. But you, he says, you're not ignorant. You can't plead that excuse. People say, well, times have changed. You know, Paul was writing that culture then, but we're just so saturated with it now, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. But you know what we know about that culture? Paul was writing from the city of Corinth, writing to Thessalonica, and both of those cities were renowned for their sexual immorality in those days. Adultery in the Greek and Roman culture, a man got married for really one reason, so that he might have legitimate heirs to his own possessions. Adultery was rampant. It was, it was acceptable. It was the norm. Homosexuality 
Men with other men, women with other women. Sex and religion, a combination of the two. That you would go to the temple to worship the, the God of your choice and part of that ritual oftentimes involved prostitution. And it was the accepted family norm, accepted cultural norm, accepted religious norms of those days. And Paul is writing and saying, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. And he's writing to that church that they've had this, this radical conversion to Christianity that he was talking about back in chapter 1. And now they have to abstain from this. And, and it may be that old habits were dying hard. That might be why Paul was addressing this issue to that church. But regardless, no spiritual ignorance. We were at uh, Big Boys Tuesday night for our TNT at Frisch's there, and, and we had several, I think we had 27 people or something there, and so we had to kind of spread out on some of the tables, and there was a booth over there that had all the, the boys there. You know, there was about, uh, I think, four or five of them, and at one point Jaden came over there and joined them. And so uh, they were doing what kids do, you know. They was loud and, and, and all over the place, standing up and climbing seats and stuff. And, and um, one time somebody was fussing at them, and somebody said, well, what are they doing? I said, well, they're acting like heathens. <laughs> and Nancy Ayers said, heathens. And I, said, I laughed. I said, I like that word better, heathens. It makes it sound worse. You know, it's like you've got this level of, 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 of mischief as you're a heathen, but then when you ramp it up, you're heathen, you know. <laughs> And so she says, heathens. But you know what? They were, they were doing what they knew how to do. You know, young boys, they're just rowdy. They're just mischievous. And they have to learn. They've got to be instructed and they've got to be taught that just because you want to do these things doesn't mean you do it. Don't live like a heathen or a heathen. If you're not... And Paul says that you live not in lustful passion, verse 5, like the Gentiles who don't know God. I mean, don't take your cues from this sinful world about what is sexually appropriate. They say adultery, ooh, mysterious. Homosexuality, oh, you know, curiosity. Pornography, that ah, doesn't hurt anybody. What's, what's it matter why are we going to take our lessons and our cues from something so sacred from a bunch of heathens who don't know God? Paul says you know better. Don't distort God's plan. Stay within the boundaries and enjoy it. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is good. God invented it. God created it. And God says enjoy it but just stay within the boundaries and all is well. Do not distort God's plan. Secondly, do not defraud God's people. Our sexuality impacts the relationship even within the covenant community of the church. Paul says that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. In other words, he says respect your fellow brother. Respect your fellow brother. He says that no one transgress. That means goes outside the boundaries, that, that steps across the line. Don't cross the line in relationship to your brother, your sister in the church. Don't defraud. That means to, to betray the trust or to take advantage of 
Paul says within the covenant community of the church, there ought to be trust. There ought to be a, a strong bond, a relationship that we don't defraud and take advantage of one another. Because in that matter, it is sinning against God and it's sinning against your brother or your sister. You need to have respect for those within the covenant community of the church. We're also to revere your faithful master. Verse 6, he says, Don't defraud your brother in the matter because... Why, Paul? The Lord is the avenger in all these things. Maybe it's a good thing we don't have all the little boys in here today because they say, you know, God's the avenger. Ooh, God's like... He's like the Hulk. He's like Iron Man. He's like Thor. He's the avenger, you know. But it means that God is going to enact His vengeance upon those who break this commandment. Who is the object of God's wrath here? Who is God going to avenge? It is the church member who defrauds his brother in this matter. It means just because you are in this church and you are part of this church family, don't think you are exempt from God's justice. Don't think you get a free pass just because you come to church pretty frequently. Just because your name is on the church roll. Because God says, I am the avenger of this matter. If you defraud and transgress your brother, I will enact justice on their behalf. And the way it's worded there, it's inevitable. You might say, well, does that mean when I stand before God in judgment, does that mean God is going to to do some things in my life here and now, it's inevitable one way or the other. You're going to have to answer to God and give an account for the way you treat your brother or your sister in the church regarding this matter especially. But also Paul says, recall your foreboding teacher. Verse 6, Paul says, God is the avenger, the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. Paul says the warning was heavily stressed when we were there. Paul knew the culture that they were saved from and he knew the temptations they'd be battling and he warned them solemnly, follow God in this matter. Like a a faithful teacher will, they will warn of the dangers that lie ahead. Paul says, you've been instructed, you've been solemnly warned, you know better. Now just do it. Go out and practice your faith in a way that that pleases God. The solemn warning, it reminds me of the warning labels they put on on tobacco products nowadays. You know, it's stamped all over it there. Warning, may cause cancer, may cause heart disease. And and they put it all out there. And basically what they're saying is ignore the warning to your own detriment. Nobody can say, well, I don't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, it's all over TV. It's advertised. It's everywhere. It tells you smoking's bad or, or, or tobacco's bad. And so basically it's saying, you know, now the ball's in your court. Ignore the warning to your own peril. The consequences are there. And God says, in the matter of sex, you know better. You've been instructed. The Lord is the avenger. And Paul says, we have solemnly warned you. 
we have warned you and warned you and told you and told you be careful and be cautious regarding the matter of sex. Do not defraud God's people. Do not disobey God's precepts. His precepts. Verse 7, it says, For, which means everything that he has just been talking about is grounded in this statement. For, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Here we see God's perfect standards, His holy standards. He says, God has not called us. And Paul here, he's including himself in this. He says, God has not called us. The, the word called there means to be, to be lifted up out of and, and brought over into. God says, or Paul says, I, God has called you out of this sinful culture and brought you over into the church. And he's not done this for the purpose of impurity. God didn't save you so that you can go out and sin. His standards are high. His standards are perfect. He has called us for the purpose of sanctification, holiness. God's called us so that we can be transformed. Our lifestyles would be different. Because we've come to the cross. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. And we've been made new by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new creation. This has happened so that we could be holy. So that we might stand out and be different. Remember back when, when, right before God gave the, the Ten Commandments to, through Moses to the children of Israel, He says, I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out of the land of Egypt and freed you from slavery. And He says, I have called you to be a kingdom of priests. So Paul is, Paul is saying God's called us just like the Israelites were called to be holy, different, distinct, unique the world looks at us and sees our pattern and our belief regarding sexuality and they say, wow, that is so weird. And we say, thank you. Because we are different. We've been called for sanctification. Let the world poke fun all they want. That's a good thing. If we look just like the rest of the world does, that's not good. Why do we want to follow, again, their lead in this matter when his standards are perfect? And by the way, a commitment to growing in holiness is evidence of your calling. If you say, I've been called, and yet there is no progression in this level of holiness, specifically in this context regarding your sex life, if there's no increasing level of holiness in regards to that, there's a problem. Because God didn't call you so that you would not grow in holiness. His perfect standards, verse 8. His permanent scripture, verse 8, he says, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God. Paul says, The instruction I'm giving you regarding sex is from God. And if you reject what I'm saying to you in the authority of Jesus Christ about sex... You're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. And what Paul has to say and what all the prophets and the apostles have to say about sex is recorded for us in Scripture and it's permanent. If it is Scripture, if it is from God, as Paul says, it's authoritative. That means we've got to accept it, we've got to believe it, we've got to follow it, and we've got to promote it. This is God's design. This is God's way. 
It's authoritative. And by the way, if it is of God, it is true. And if it was true then, it is true now. Truth is not relative. Truth does not change and transform over time to say, well, it was true back in Paul's day, but now things are different. Wrong. Truth is truth. It has always been and always will be the truth. It's contained in God's book. If something doesn't line up with what this says, it's wrong. If something doesn't line up with what this says, if a behavior doesn't match what this has to say, it's sin. It is sin. And Jesus died on the cross for sin. And God will punish sin. It's serious stuff. His permanent scripture says, whoever rejects, and by the way, the word rejects there is in the present tense. That means a continual, habitual, lifestyle choice of saying, God says this, I don't care. God says this, I don't care. God says this, I don't care. He says, to reject what I'm saying, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. Paul is putting this out as plainly as he can. Do not disobey God's precepts. But you know, God hasn't left us all alone to struggle through this matter. End of verse 8, he says, Who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. His Holy Spirit, the presence of His Holy Spirit. That means when you get saved, the Holy Spirit, that means God comes and lives inside your body. You are the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says to the Corinthians. So I said you can't go out and mess around with prostitution and stuff. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, God who gives his Holy Spirit, and the word holy there is emphasized. He's, literally it says, and God who gives his Spirit, the Holy One, to you. And again, the word gives there in the present tense. That means God has given you the Spirit and the effects of the presence of His Spirit is ongoing. It means God didn't just say, okay, straighten up. Here's how you do it. You do it. You're on your own. He's given you the Holy Spirit. What a precious gift. To know that whatever it is you are dealing with, whatever it is you are battling, God lives inside you. And the closer you draw to God and the more that you fellowship with the Holy Spirit who lives in you, the easier it will be to live a life that pleases God. You begin to, to, to lack the fullness of the Spirit. You begin to quench the Holy Spirit and you watch how hard the battle will be in regards to this matter and everything else. Left to your own device, your own ability and skill and wisdom, it's impossible. But the Holy Spirit lives in you, folks. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside you. You've got everything you need to defeat the enemy in this battle of the flesh versus the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Greater is He that is in you than in the world. The Holy Spirit. 
is inside you and for one that should strike fear <laughs> to think anytime you're going to go commit some sexual immorality nobody's going to know God knows it ain't going to hurt anybody yes it does it hurts you and it hurts others the Holy Spirit's inside every time you go to commit some lewd act that's outside the bounds of God's will the Holy Spirit's inside you while you're doing that and you are blaspheming the Spirit through your act rejecting the fact that he is real and he is living and he is there so fear the Holy Spirit in you should, should incite fear but also it's there the Spirit is there to give you strength to know I can overcome because the Holy Spirit is there Paul says in this matter it's not man but it's God and God who has given you the Holy Spirit that means you can you can because the Spirit can. In Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 we read this about uh, the scribe Ezra. It said he gave his heart to the study of God's law so that he might practice it and teach it to others. I said at the outset that this message was applicable to all of us because it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You can set your heart to the study of God's Word regarding this subject matter. And you can set your heart to it, not just to know it, but to live it out, because that's the purpose of Scripture, not just to fill your head with knowledge. Scripture's there to change the way you live. To study it, to apply it, and then teach it to others. To know, parents, when your children come to you with questions, to know from the lens of the Bible how to answer that question how to give instruction and guidance. That means as a, as a senior adult to be able to, to teach in the church these beliefs and, and to see loved ones, children or grandchildren that begin to transgress this boundary, to be able authoritatively from the Bible to speak a word of God into their life regarding that subject. Tell me that's not applicable to you. As a single person, as you are waiting to see maybe God is going to give me a spouse or not, but in the meanwhile, to say, I'm going to live holy, I'm going to live pure, and to say, it's impossible, it's, it's not impossible. You think, well, you know, I might be single for years. All that matters is the right here and the right now. What am I going to do right here, right now? I'm not going to worry about years down the road. The devil wants to distract me with that. I'm going to worry about this right here, right now, this moment. Am I going to be holy or not? Take it one moment at a time. Sounds like coach speak. You know, one, one game at a time. That's all you need to worry about, the here and the now, and, and let God take care of the rest. As a married person, to stay within the covenant relationship of your marriage means no adultery, no inappropriate relationships, even emotionally, that might lead to something else. I mean, setting up boundaries. That means letting your spouse know all your passwords to your email and your Facebook and all those things. And some spouses even share that. It means not spending time with someone of the opposite sex that's not your spouse, not riding around in a car, going out to eat, all these things. And I've, I've taught this before as my personal policies as a pastor. That ought to be your guidelines as well. It shouldn't be just mine. It should be yours. Set up some parameters that way to make it impossible to even look like there's something inappropriate going on. 
This message is appropriate for all of us. Because we said the, at the beginning, the, the glorify God in all we do. Glorify God in your sex life. Whatever stage you're in, whatever point in life you're in, glorify God when it comes to this matter. Set your heart to study God's Word, to practice it, and to teach it. Glorify God's, glorify God with your life. That means every bit of your life. No, there is no area that's off limits to His Lordship. So that means this: holiness includes the bedroom. No area off limits. If you're going to glorify God, you've got to follow the wisdom of His Word instead of the foolishness of the world. Where are you going to take your cues from regarding this matter? From the lost or from the Lord? Let's pray together.